This is another episode of Dear Analyst, and this episode, I'm super, super excited to have Sarfraz Nawaz. He is the uh, he runs digital product management at Johnson and Johnson, and he's going to speak to us about a variety of topics, including running supply chain platforms and digital transformation at J&J, how he approaches marketing analytics and decision making, and all these topics in between from his uh work experience. So Sarfraz, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. Um, I kind of get to give a quick run through of your background, but could you uh, kind of give a quick story about who you are and your background leading up to your current role at J&J? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm essentially a computer scientist who along the way sort of built large-scale data infrastructure, platforms, analytics applications across a variety of industries leading into supply chains and healthcare at j and I spent time with early teams at Microsoft, uh, basically building the infrastructure for the search engine Bing. Played with a few startups after that in the marketing analytics world, um, some successes, some failures. And then uh, also some time with Apple Maps, uh, you know, so um, grew up in India, uh, you know, moved here 15, 16 years ago, uh, spent a lot of time with tech. So that's a little bit. Great. And I know that supply chain and supply chain issues were very top of mind during and after the pandemic. And that's what you focus on at J&J. Um, can you speak to us about what supply chain means to you and J&J and how you've adopted, how J&J has adopted digital transformation um, to optimize workflows, operations, et cetera? Yeah. Well, when I, you know, when I started with this group and we were essentially a bunch of ex-Microsoft folks who, you know, started this organization, digital and innovation at J&J. Uh, with supply chain transformation, the digital transformation for supply chain being one of our core focuses. Now, if you think of J&J, right, at a high level, our supply chain supports approximately 1.2 billion patients and consumers on a daily basis. You know, it includes, you know, sort of hundreds of thousands orders a day across, you know, a similar order of SKUs. Uh, we're looking at you know, thousands of suppliers and manufacturers, manufacturing partners, if you will, across 60 global, you know, globally distributed locations, um, you know, 60 different countries, if you will. So that gives you a glimpse of the breadth of a supply chain and complexity, right? In the context of healthcare. Mm -hmm. Now we span across, you know, some sourcing, procurement, manufacturing, working compliance research and development all the way to areas which are more near and dear right now like sustainability and talent, talent manage, management as well as customer delivery and customer satisfaction, right? So digital plays a critical role in how we transform uh, 
stay really resilient, adaptable to the ongoing changes uh, in the supply chain, right? Um, you know, I'll pause there, but you know, happy to dive more into some of the you know critical areas that we've been focusing on. Sure. Yeah, I, I remember when we first chatted, you had talked a little bit about um, ATP availability yeah. to Promise, and I'm curious how digital transformation has changed that um, concept at J and J, and what other companies can learn about what you have done with um, this specific concept. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think of it, a product like ATP or other customer experience enhancing products capabilities are focused towards the bottom end of the supply chain, right? We see a few trends when you look at, you know, this constantly evolving world today across industries, right? You are essentially seeing newer channels for customer engagement, along with the need to improve customer experience across these channels. You're seeing improved customer and stakeholder experience with personalization being at the core. Like I said, resiliency across supply chain is super essential, especially dealing with events like the ones we've experienced for the last couple of years. So a product like ATP availability to promise is essentially helping us convey with a high level of confidence every time a customer makes an order, right, as to when we are able to ship and deliver it to the customer. Now, without cutting edge analytics and data, you know, you're, you're basically, you know, relying on a bunch of rules. So now we are essentially able to look at upstream data points from manufacturing, availability of the finished products, the various lead times, you know, which define some of these metrics to transportation, you know, managing various logistics and then delivery to the customer. All of these data points and signals are taken into account when, when the model essentially for an ATP platform, when the model essentially computes what the delivery timeframe, the accurate delivery timeframe is gonna be. So think of it as analogous to what an Amazon Prime offers, right? You're basically promising the customer that okay, you're gonna deliver within 24 hours or whatever that window might be with a high level of confidence. So ATP with all of its underlying digital and you know, intelligent capabilities enables us to deliver at that uh, you know, high quality and precise uh, you know, measurement, if you will. Got it. And I guess if we dig, dig a little deeper into how this um, product like ATP has evolved, like how was it done previously, maybe like five, 10 years ago, and how has it changed as a result of how your group has um, introduced innovation and digital transformation to the process? Um, are we just getting better, is your team just getting better signals on like when something can ship or are we introducing machine learning models? I'm just curious how yeah. ATP, the product has evolved to 
where it is today at J and J. Yeah, you framed it pretty well. ATP is one of the many intelligent products, you know, innovative products, if you will, that we've deployed across the supply chain, and we're still in this journey. If you look at it, right. So it all starts with the idea of a digital stack, the way we look at it, right? And at the core of this digital stack, you have a standard data layer, which is the primary enabler to build downstream applications, whether it's with machine learning, predictive, prescriptive analytics like optimization, intelligent automation, you know, probably leading into robotics and so on and so forth, right? And we're also looking at more cutting edge, like quantum, you know, for quantum ML, so on, you know, and optimization use cases. So sort of going back to the idea of a core data strategy. So that's, that's where we started basically saying, okay, we have a complex business, three different business segments, medical devices, pharmaceuticals, consumer healthcare. So we're both supporting B2B as well as B2C, you know, channels, if you will. And then we've had acquisitions over the years, right? We've, we've bought, uh, you know, very niche providers in healthcare, like Actillion, which was acquired three years ago. All that leads into a diverse siloed set of data sets, right? Let's take the example of purely supply chain to begin with. And then we're looking at completely different sort of challenges when it comes to you know, drug discovery or other core research areas we operate in. But look at supply chains. You know, essentially we're looking at ERPs and you know, product uh, data sets, customer engagement data sets, quality and compliance data sets, uh, planning data sets, all of these siloed now you can really make the most of all of these data sets and the signals associated with them once you are able to sort of bring it together and enrich them, right? To develop objects that can then be used to build intelligent downstream applications. Some of them I talked to, you know, talk to you about. So it all starts there, um, you know. So a core data strategy is for us has been like the enabler, right? And now we could talk about, you know, how how the cloud plays a role there and other technologies, you know, which you are familiar with, right? In, in you know, really bringing value out of your data, right? Governance, part of it, regulatory side of it, you know, addressing all of that. But I think it all starts with the core data strategy leading into well-defined scalable downstream applications, right? Which support your supply chain. One example being ATP. Hopefully that answers. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks for getting into the detail there. Um, yeah. I guess still sticking within the, the this J and J topic. Uh, one one topic that was really popular during the um, the pandemic, which I think everyone was became somehow became like an armchair expert on, was vaccine distribution. And yeah. I know J and J has um, worked on vaccine distribution and I think you mentioned there's all different kinds of optimization problems um, therein. And I'm curious, I'm more curious about the data strategy, back to data strategy, 
what the data strategy was in J&J kind of coming up with how to distribute vaccines. Um, was there a kind of like a small team put together to like figure out what the data strategy is for this very unique situation or was it still kind of using a, an old data strategy or existing data strategies that JJ had for you know months or quarters or years before that um just curious if you can speak to any, any whatever you can speak to about how JJ approached that specific problem yeah yeah it's 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 one of those areas which has been front and center over the last two years. Well, I think at a, at a very higher level, if you think of it, you know, we we had at a strategic at a strategic level, we had you know longer term plans, right? When it comes to digital adoption or uh, various innovation capabilities uh, within the supply chain and the respective segments. In this case, we're talking about vaccine. You know, we're we're essentially ref referring to you know, um, Janssen, which is our pharmaceuticals business. Um, so I think one of the things as the pandemic hit and pharma companies were going back looking at, you know, how do we really, you know, prepare, you know, um, and adapt, if you will, both managing ongoing business operations, which includes supply chain operations, but also prepare for, you know, vaccine development and distribution, right? And JNJ being one of them. So I think specifically focusing on the supply chains, uh, we, we approached it in a way where we, we had clear vision for our longer term strategy, but at the same time, we started identifying what are some of the core platforms that are in place today that need to be, you know, scaled up or tweaked in a way where they can serve for the Im immediate need, you know, for manufacturing, transportation, distribution, visibility of, you know, the vaccine supply chain, all the way to customer delivery and feedback collection, right? So we we had to go back and sort of identify, you know, which which platforms are going to play a role in, you know, expediting the whole vaccine distribution, you know, process, if you will. Some of them, uh, to name a few, were, you know, along the lines of building control towers or, you know, the addressing transportation. Uh, the vaccine supply chain required a certain temperature managed you know, storage needs. So what are those capabilities? How do we get the feedback with initial batches of the vaccine, right? Who are our partners, uh, you know, from a manufacturing side of things? Um, so all of that, right? So being really quick to identify core platforms, scale them up for the needs of, you know, vaccine manufacturing and distribution uh, was, I think, sort of the core first steps. And then really making sure that we are executing it in a seamless fashion uh, was important. Uh, so those are a few things that, you know, we have, we really had to do. And then obviously look at measurements around, you know, the efficacy, the, the responses from patients uh, and other entities, if you will, 
uh, right, post-clinical trials uh, with, with, the, with the data. Got it. Yeah, that's super interesting when you think about all the different platforms, logistics involved with, like you said, distrib- uh, development, distribution, shipping. I think so much of our many um, uh, people that I work with, you know, we're all focused on just delivering a digital good, but we were talking about delivering a physical good, so to speak, that has very drastic health implications. Um, everything you do from the digital to the physical world just becomes so much more important and enhanced, I think. So getting that supply chain right is still is very important for, you know, uh, the health of our, I guess, our, our world. Um, I guess going back in time a little bit, um, I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about how you approach building marketing analytics platforms to make better decisions. I know you have worked with uh, big online retail, uh, big retailers like Macy's and Marcus and understanding what their data platforms are, what their data needs are. Um, how did you build these platforms? What kind of decisions or better decisions resulted from these platforms? Chris, if you can speak a little more, a little more about that. Yeah, Al, I think you bring up a really important time in my in my career. I started off with a with you know building search engines and these large scale data platforms and you know sort of neural nets, if you will, at that point in time for the for the search search engine ranking algorithms and query alterations and all of that. But then you know um, you know this was a time when uh, you know, search engines and social networks essentially took up a significant share of the ad ad market, right? The marketing spend, if you will, right? People were moving into digital media, uh, lion's share of that being search and, you know, ads, if you will, right? Display ads and uh, so on and so forth. Uh, and, then, and then social, obviously. Uh, so the problem space that I focused on uh, was around, uh, you know, digital media. Addressable media is what we refer to uh, in the art at tech martech space, if you will. Right. So specifically, the product I uh, helped define and build was a multi-touch attribution solution. So think of it this way. An organization or an enterprise has a certain marketing spend and has certain returns ROI with their historical spend. Now you want to understand, you know, how effective was your past spend? Uh, better understand what your customer journeys were, right? And how did your uh, spend really impact those journeys leaning into conversion? So in the retail world, I mean, we're talking about you know, folks like Neiman Marcus or Macy's and others, right? You're looking at conversion where people buy products, buy goods, right? So how did your prior marketing, uh, you know, spend and marketing exposure really impact the, you know, your customer's behavior, right? So an attribution solution really helps marketing teams within these large enterprises better understand their customer and then predict or optimize your spend for the future across these channels, right? Uh, so that, in a sense, was the higher level product 
um, and the problem space we were addressing. It was more pronounced in the context of retail, uh, primarily because you know Amazon was really big and you know really impacting other brick and mortar, if you will, also chains, right? Who had physical stores and were, were sort of making a move into you know web properties, if you will, to you know to enhance as well as you know sustain their uh, businesses, right? In the in the in the retail sector, so you know they found it really useful to adopt a product like ours, understand their customers, and really plan for future. You know, so that was the product. But at the core, right, we essentially had a decision support engine, right, which which looks at various input data sets from, you know, like I said, spend data to, uh, you know, user behavior data sets, so on and so forth, and build models, right, which, you know, these marketing teams and analytics teams can use to predict for their future optimized spend, right, across channels. So in a nutshell, you are looking at, you know, figuring out or understanding existing customer propensity, what are the various market level factors impacting, and then, you know, really focus on the core digital media where you want to deploy your capital. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's, uh, a constantly evolving problem these days with so many different online channels always popping up, you know, whether it be, well, I guess online ads are still very much in the pl- in play, but you have things like social media platforms coming up and even podcasts, I guess you could say. Um, if you, th- I, don't, I don't know if you can speak to this, but when you think back to how this product, this, um, you know, attribution, attribution product, how it helped marketing and analytics teams optimize what they're spending their marketing dollars on. Can you recall like what the model would recommend at a high level? I'm sure it depends on the, the channel and the type of product and all that kind of stuff. But I'm curious like how the model, like what were the big kind of like online channels that it would tell the, cons- um, the end user to spend their marketing dollars on? Was it just all Google? Was it all Facebook? You kind of want to get a sense of like what the recommendation was or what it spit out. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you look at it, right, I mean, you sort of, you know, it's a really good segue into some of the partnerships that we did, right? I mean, we had this core attribution engine and to, 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 to speak to part of your question, you know, the very first step with the product was to give our customers, in this case, marketing and analytics teams within these large enterprises like Macy's, give them a you know really good sense of what the ROI was, right, from their past past spend, marketing spend, if you will, and really give them a sense of okay, if you spend X amount of dollars across display, email, paid search, social channels, what really had the most pronounced influence, right? When your customers went ahead and bought products, right? And and that influence might vary across demographies or regions or so, right? Uh, maybe, you know, kids within the age group 
of 18 to 25 or so have more affinity to a specific social channel versus, you know, uh, a different demographic. So, you know, giving that audience understanding, right, and, and the ROI and clear definition of customer journeys was a big part of the product. Then comes the second part, right, which you were also alluding to. What, what did we recommend? What sort of optimizations did we suggest and recommend and the, with, with high level of quality or confidence, if you will, right? So this is where some of the partnerships come in. We partnered with not just the core, you know, the biggest players within space and social, within, within search and social, but also like folks like Pinterest and Snap, right? To understand patterns within their platforms and then, sort of when a, when a customer wants to syndicate, right, based on these historical patterns, really wants to syndicate, uh, you know, their marketing spend and, you know, um, uh, campaigns, build campaigns across these channels. Now they have more avenues to play with, right? Uh, so those were partnerships we did. We, like I said, we also had, as part of our acquisition with Newstar, you know, we also had, you know, the one ID as well as, uh, you know, audience understanding platforms, right? Which which really helped further enrich the overall platform. Uh, and then I already talked about the syndication where you're basically saying, okay, based on all of this data that I have, right, for the upcoming quarter, where do I want to really allocate budget across channels, campaigns, and tactics, right? And then really activate all of this, right? With the with this indication product. So that was the entire portfolio, right? With, with, with the right partners. Got it. So it's by having these partners, you're kind of giving these um, retailers like Macy's and Marcus access to, I guess, ad inventory that they wouldn't otherwise get access to if they were just you yeah. know, using the online you know, business advertising manager or whatever, um, because you, know, you had a direct relationship with Snapchat or Pinterest or whoever, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely, and yeah. it was essentially one go-to single platform, right? Where you're also able to understand your past customer behavior, your ROI, and then you know, help define your campaigns and you know, your, your marketing plan for the future, right? and then sort of activate it in a single platform all within you know within this core uh, intelligent application if you will got it makes a lot of sense um, i know we're coming up on time and i kind of wanted to um, maybe broaden this conversation a little bit and mm -hmm. i think you might be a great person to talk about this which is um, this notion of systems thinking and i wanted to bring up a a podcast episode I listened to recently from the Hansel Minutes podcast. Um, you know, it's a podcast typically about speaking with engineering leaders. And in episode 831, um, the host interviews um, Inez Sombra, who is the VP of engineering of core systems at Fastly. And mm -hmm. they're talking about basically how important systems thinking is for an individual. Um, they kind of have a debate about um, being really good at your at a craft, let's say you're really amazing software engineer, you know how to build um, you know 
applications. And that's one skill set to have. But the other skill set, which is, you know, thinking more broadly about the systems at work, whether it's the management, your other other teams are working with, like marketing, sales, product, um, customers, and how everything all interacts together into a system to make your product successful. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts about how you, um, about systems thinking, how you think about it in terms of your current role, um, and just really kind of anything you think about in terms of this concept of systems thinking. You can take it any direction that you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a it's a it's a really interesting concept. Although I've not listened to the podcast, and I'd love to. Uh, you know, you said handsome minutes, uh, the the specific episode, but I think. I think it's a very important concept. You know, like I said, I have an engineering background, uh, mostly work with, you know, core engineering, data science folks, and, you know, other scientists here at JNJ, from operational research to, you know, core uh, Janssen uh, R&D, we're focused on clinical trials and, you know, drug discovery and med devices, right? And, and all of that. So I think we see systems thinking uh, at play in a number of ways. Uh, obviously, at the core infrastructure layer, which is you know pretty self-evident in 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 the way we simulate you know our physical uh, sites, you know the you know with which with concepts like digital twins, uh, you know digital performance, right? We really look at simulating capabilities even before we really go deploy. And, and, and that's where systems thinking is kind of useful because now you're, you've broken down different aspects of you know, your supply chain in the physical world, if you will, right? So that's one. Uh, and then I think you were alluding to also within your core workplace, right? How different groups work together, how you look at talent management, uh, understanding people, their aspirations, and, you know, what really drives them. Uh, I think that's another area where you're really looking at ways to, you know, measure and understand and tie all of these different groups together in an optimal way. So I think those are a few concepts that come to my, come, come to my mind and how we see it at play right here say at JNJ or the past organizations that I've worked with. But I am eager to, you know, hear about what, uh, uh, you know, the, the podcast had to say and Ines had to say in that episode. Yeah, thanks for that. I mean, I think just from hearing you um, talk for the last 30 minutes, I, you know, you said you're a, a engineer at heart, but in terms of the problems, the processes and the things that you're working on, you're obviously working across, working with, many cross-functional stakeholders and i can tell that you have to take into account a variety of variables and not just you know core engineering uh topics but thinking about like you said talent management operations you know customers all that stuff is tied into your role which i think um plays into this concept of systems thinking really well um so thank you thank you for um explaining a little more about your world and how you think about this uh, this concept absolutely yeah. Well, I, I know we're a little bit over time, um, but is there anything that you'd like listeners to, like any key takeaways you'd like listeners to walk away with? Any 
I hate saying the word action items that you like people to do. <laughs> um, anything at all as we depart uh, this episode. Well, I mean, it's, it's been great to uh, participate. Um, thanks for having me, Al, again. Uh, I've listened to various uh, episodes that you've had, so definitely I'd encourage you know, listeners to sort of follow and you know, um, listen to upcoming episodes as well. But then maybe I would go with, you know, sort of end with the thought that, you know, data uh, and, you know, engineering uh, and STEM education in general, you know, has been so transformational uh, with various industries. And, you know, we've heard of Satya Nadella, for example, at Microsoft talking about how digital transformation is only, you know, gotten started. So there's, there's, there's a long journey up there. And I think people can really pray sort of play a role, right, in this transformation for the good, right, whether it's sustainability, climate change, so on and so forth. So I think uh, that's the final thought I would leave with. That's a great, great way to end it. And I think um, that's part and parcel with everything I kind of preach on this podcast, which is um, yeah, find a way to get into the data world and analytics world and uh, make an impact. And um, yeah, thank you for shedding some more light into how you think about uh, this profession as well. Um, Sarfraz, thank you so much for being on the show and um, maybe we'll do a part two at some point in the future. Absolutely. Thanks, Al.